You and I have the joint disease of uh, humming. Humming. Yeah. Because you don't want me to sing. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome everyone to the Vanguard Conversation Series for 2023. As you're coming into the room, um, please feel free to use chat and tell us where you are Zooming in from. That would be awesome. Uh, I'm located north of Seattle on a place called Woodby Island, and my name is Janet Harvey. I am the CEO of Invite Change, and I'm joined in this wonderful adventure with my colleague and co-host, Gary Schleifer. There you go, Gary. He'll introduce himself in just a second, who is the founder and editor for Choice Magazine, the magazine of professional coaching. This whole series, oh, there it is. This whole series came out of um, a a long time of he and I wanting to engage people in a a deeper conversation about coaching. I know for me, um, I'm feeling that space of such great disruption going on in the world. And how do we equip ourselves to be with disruption, with our feet on the ground, with a sense of capability and possibility? And we thought, you know, the best way to do that is to be in dialogue with each other. So that was our early initiation. And each time that we come together in this series, we we invite another inspired global visionary leader. And Esther Jones, Ali is with us today, and I'll interview her a little bit more in a minute. You might wave, Esther, and say hi to everybody. We also do something here that you might not be used to, um, but strongly encourage that everybody have their cameras on and you are welcome to leave your mics open. I am not worried about a doorbell or a dog barking. It is part of humanity. (laughs) Be here. Manage yourself. You know, if you need to take a break and be right back, that's all good. You don't need to even tell us that in chat, but come back and be in the space with us together. All right. So, um, what are we doing this year? We, we've been exploring this idea that I call tensions of presence. And we're gonna talk today about one of them that's very common for all leaders across all industries, resistance and risk-taking. Now, why do we think that's Vanguard? I'm gonna turn it over to Gary to tell you a little bit about that. Well, uh, thank you and welcome everyone. And uh, Esther, great to have you here and can't wait to hear more about you and your thorny problem. But a little bit about the background of Vanguard. Um, we started a lot, as Janet mentioned, we uh, it's our second year. And uh, Vanguard means being at the forefront of ideas that are emerging so we can proactively disrupt our thinking, as Janet was mentioning earlier. As an easy example, most people put pork chops with applesauce and think, what is applesauce if not with pork chops? Well, so many more things, but we won't get into that part. Our conversations focus on our experience of life today rather than a theory, an outcome, a process, or even a promotion to buy anything. We're not here to sell. We invite you to transform your process of listening to get something to giving yourself an opportunity to experiment and learning through practical application that's relevant to your life, which is what Janet was saying. We're going to get engaged here. And so, Miss Esther, I have known Esther since, didn't we figure this out? I think 2007. 
Seven. Wow. No, six. Two thousand six. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been. Would have been in the fall of six. Wow. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't know where the time goes. And I have watched you uh, walk in the world in such glorious ways from your time at the Department of Transportation, Metro, we call it here in Seattle. And you're going to hear um, her direct leadership experience today. Uh, she's gone on to embody uh, professional coaching. She is an ICF professional certified coach, and her specialty really is a spiritual lifestyle. And she's gone on to become a one spirit uh, reverend and she brings the divine into every single moment. So you're in for quite a treat to experience her presence and her way of understanding what's so very important for all of us, which is the reflection on our lives. Without time spent there, we will repeat history. And as her wonderful book, I'm going to make sure I get the title right, The Centered Life, A Spiritual Life Coaching Journey. I hope you'll check that out. She also introduced a program in 2020 that I am a huge fan of called Cracking the Shell on Racism, which was designed for non-Black African-American people to truly understand the history, the roots of the systems in America that have kept racism in place. If we don't know from where we've come, we are never going to get forward in a new way. So this is an, a magnificent global leader. Thank you, Esther, so much for joining us today. And the floor is yours to begin well, to share your um, thorny problem and how you resolved it. Well, thank you, Janet. And thank you, Gary. I'm so honored to be here and share this story. And um, as you know, we will encounter these um, hiccups throughout our career. But I wanna focus today on one that I experienced early as I stepped into leadership and um, didn't quite have an understanding of how things were working. At the time I was working for Metro, which is a transportation company in Seattle. Um, and I had just got this promotion. I was really excited because I had come up with this great idea and they had just completed the tunnel that goes under Seattle and the buses were going and the tunnel was just beautiful. I mean, all of the stations, they had put a lot of money and a lot of intricate um, arts and it was just beautiful. And so my idea was, why don't we make some money? Well. <laughs> what I found, which I had no idea, it made sense to me. We are, we were a, a service providing organization and um, our ridership was down and I saw this as a great opportunity. So I pitched it to my director and my director at the time was a man from Russia and he was just a, a marvelous, marvelous uh, leader. He decided, I like your idea, Esther, let's go for it. But what I needed was not just him to give me the green light, but to kind of walk that path with me, which he didn't. And what I had to do was to get the buy-in from the transportation department. <laughs> now, I felt like my idea was flawless. It was solid because we were losing ridership. We needed to make money and we needed to do something to bring the ridership back. At that time, we were still running buses all the way down to Pierce County and up to Snohomish County. So those buses would start very early in the morning, like four or five o'clock in the morning. Wow. 
And we were expanding our transit stations. We were building new transit stations in the uh, outer, rim, outer perimeters of the area. So I figured coffee was just taking off. Starbucks <laughs> hadn't even gotten a foothold into the coffee business like they have today. So there were coffee carts everywhere in Seattle because Seattle lights love coffee. There were coffee carts everywhere. The problem was transit had a rule. You could not drink or eat on the bus. So here I go, skipping in there with this grand idea. We're going to make some money. Let me show you how we're going to do it, blah, 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 blah. And I hit a brick wall of resistance. I didn't understand. It didn't compute in my head. What is all this resistance? Don't you understand what's possible here? Because I could see it. My director could see it. But transit department was ran like a military. They were militaristic. You know, they were, you know, we do it this way. This very, very um, regimen. In other words, no risk taking. <laughs> Wasn't happening. Wasn't happening. Oh. If it ain't been proven, wasn't, and it had to be proven by them. So I had to figure a way to sell this idea to move a whole department. And what was happening to me was I was being given the runaround because I, I wanted to have um, the ability for us to, to permit coffee carts at our transit stations. And I wanted us to use the tunnel to do parties and receptions in the evening. And that was like, no, we don't make money. We, we're government. We're not supposed to make money. And I'm like, I don't, I, I, I think the government would like that. Don't you think? No, we work on grants. And our and 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 whatever revenue we bring in from the transit, I said, okay, this is that I can go with that. If we can increase ridership by allowing them to get a cup of coffee at four or five o'clock in the morning, drink that coffee, take the trash off when they get off the bus, don't you think more people would be interested in riding? It just wasn't sinking in, and I didn't understand the wall I was up against. I had to go back to the beginning and start to really look at that transit department to figure out what was happening. They had a rule, no food or drinks on the bus, <laughs> period. <laughs> and people would rather be in traffic in their cars because they could have their coffee. You know, people lifestyles, when you're, when you're working at nine to five, people lifestyles are regimented. They, they've got to get everything in. So they weren't going to get on the, on the bus and have to throw their coffee away. So I go back and I start at the bottom. I couldn't even get to, I had to start at the bottom, you know, with the planners that were planning Mm -hmm. the, 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 the expansions and, and that we're planning the routes. And I, I took my time. It was, it was um, grueling. <laughs> I took my time and explained the idea to them. And a lot of them began to perk up because they didn't understand the higher rule. And they were like, yeah, this sounds great, but they couldn't move it. They could mm -hmm. not move that idea. 
So I had to go back to my director and said, listen, I need you to help me to get through this. Director to director need to talk. Oh, Esther, you got this. Don't worry about it. You're going to bring them around. And I continued. I went back. I started going to the managers, getting on their calendars. And they kind of listened. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I said, just let's try this. Nordstrom, which was a part of that downtown Westlake Center. Right. At that time, their store was connected to the, before they moved to the bigger store, their store was connected. And um, I went to them because they were having a celebration and sold them on the idea of doing a formal party in that transit center. Cool. And one of my uh, friends is on here, uh, Miss Irene. She worked for Nordstrom at that time. <laughs> and she, she was my core <laughs> in convincing Nordstrom she took on nurses, I took on Metro. And we convinced them that this was a good public uh, display of cooperation and a good use of the tunnel. And Metro made some money. Okay. And Norson got a lot of PR out of it. Oh. And I remember it was it was a gala. Everybody was dressed in their suits and their gowns and everything. And here's all these Metro um, uh, uh, executives showing up all dressed up like, yeah, look what we done. And I'm thinking, hmm, this is interesting. <laughs> this is interesting. Wow. But I yet had to convince them that people could learn to take their trash off. We could provide receptacles on the buses. I had to go step by step to educate them and lay out the plan. I mean, it's like backing, backing it out from where you want to be and you back work that thing all the way back to get them to understand. And some of them got on board. And, and, and the other piece that, I mean, it was a whole program. I called it the economic development program because the other thing I wanted was to allow musicians and, 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 and things inside the tunnel to entertain the people while they're there, you know, and they could throw them some change or whatever. But let's make this alive because the tunnel was like a mausoleum. It was beautiful but nothing was happening, but buses running, right? <laughs> and after I, I, I worked through all the managers and assistant managers and stuff, I just threw my hands up and said, I'm going to direct it myself. And I invited him to lunch. I used to have, there's a, there was a, a, a restaurant across the street from where we work called the Metropolitan Grill. And we would all go there. And I caught him one day having lunch. I waited. I staked him out. <laughs> stalker. <laughs> I was a stalker, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, I uh, sit down next to him at the bar and I said, can I just talk to you about this for a minute? And I started talking to him. And for some reason, he listened. And then he said, Esther, get on my calendar. Let's talk a little more about this. And of course, people were kind of um, outdone. How did she get to direct or how did she do this? You know, um, but I talked to him. I explained to him the program. I laid it out. And um, he said, well, you know, we're not used to making money, but I can see other avenues in which we would benefit 
I say, yes, our ridership is going to increase. Our, our, our image to the public is going to change. I said, and we're going to support some small businesses out there. I said, so there's many uh, beneficial uh, facets to this program. Mm -hmm. And all we need is for you to get on board, because if you get on board, then the rest have to follow. And he bought it. He yeah. bought into it. But it was a long, arduous process. <laughs> when you run up against that kind of resistance, you've got to go back and figure out what are they resisting? What is the principle or the rule that they are holding on to? And that was the biggest thing that shift for me was when I figured out that the rule of no eating, no drinking on the bus meant that the maintenance parts department didn't have to do too much. So again, I had to go and sell this to the maintenance. Part. Even after talking to the director, I had to go mm -hmm. and help them think through how we can make this work because there were so many pieces involved. I found myself having to be very personable and face-to-face -face with different managers and directors to help them understand how it would work. But we got it. We did it. And um, I think my takeaway is not to be so, because um, when I get an idea in my head, I'm dogmatic. I'm gone. And this Apparently. taught me. <laughs> Lucky Metro. <laughs> this taught me. No, seriously, this taught me to look at the whole picture, all the people that involved, and look at it from their point of view, not mine. Because I, I was pretty myopic. I got this. This is, this is great. We're going to change the world. But in reality, I had to take time and honor their fears, their concerns, and their resistance, and then show them what was in it for them. You know, it wasn't just about me. And we're going to run up against resistance when we're trying to make changes in especially established um, organizations or established um, corporations. You're going to run up against that. Change is scary for people. Risk, you don't have no data. We don't know what the end result is going to be. Yeah, that can be very scary. And it will toughen that resistance. But sometimes the leader or, or the one that is, is champion the, the project or the, the program have to be more flexible and more patient and more um, considerate, even if you don't understand, even because that was a crazy rule to me, but it was their rule and it was real to them. Right. And it was important to them. And so I had to back out of my own judgments, my own thought process and look at it from their point of view. And voila, <laughs> got the program. Yeah. Voila. After how long? <laughs> how many conversations? It was how months. Many? Wait a minute. And the reality, I worked business? myself. Wait, get, I worked myself into the hospital. Okay. That's oh, no. how long it took. I mean, it was like months of this meetings. And but once it was up, of course, everybody's chest is stuck out because look what we did. Uh, and it was okay with me. Because I think that overall the 
the customers benefited more than anybody that they could get up, get to the transit center. There was a coffee cart there. They could get coffee. They actually started building. They, I, I literally, they actually started building little stores in their transit centers where the, people could get their coffee and, and their pastry or pot, whatever. But it just, it took a while. I had to massage that, you know? So. Yeah. You know, Esther, when you tell your story, I can't help but think about the the uh, handout we've given to people. And, you know, you obviously you recognized it. You recognized it wasn't necessarily a thorny problem. You recognized an opportunity. But then as you saw what was behind it all, it became a thorny problem. And then, you know, you, you yourself admitted that you tend to want to just hit the ground running like, hello, let's just change this. Right. To a point of our series and about the the um, the whole dilemmas to leadership that we're talking about, you you had to take a step back, oh. and that's where had you had this tool, which thankfully you now have and everyone has, you took a step back and went, okay, how how do I handle this? Right? right. Oh, they're afraid of change. Who do I need to talk to? And it took longer than a knee jerk reaction that we tend right. to. We all tend to go there to say, oh, this is an easy fix. So we'll just start putting the coffee carts out. <laughs> it's like, no way, Jose. <laughs> no, there had to be, um, there had to be forms, forms created. There had to be insurance. There had to be, oh, it was layers, layers. And it, it, um, it pulled a lot from me in the way of patience. And I'm not a very patient person, okay? Actually, well, Esther, another another piece that another piece it pulled from you is not just patience, but you started to think in the system. Yes, you know, I, I think that when we did the early research on the tensions of presence, what leaders kept saying is, "How come people can't see the benefit of this idea? The ideas become thorny problems because resistance and risk taking are at odds with each other. Some people want to risk; other people are like mm, over my dead body." <laughs> and leaders, right? Leaders really need to be able to stay steady, which is what you did, right? To stand yeah. in the tension just a little longer, be in the discomfort and shift your thinking. So part yes. two of the tool that everybody has, there are four key questions here. Mm -hmm. and what's the habit in the organization? No food or drink on the buses. <laughs> what's the preference? I don't want our maintenance staff to overwork. What's the assumption? We're not supposed to make money. We're a government agency. Right. What's the, what's the bias? I don't want to take a risk. I want the path of least resistance, which is status quo. Right? Yeah. All of those required attention and yes. conversation and conversation to help people see what was the higher mutual goal uh, before you could roll out what the ultimate solution was. And right. you know, so many leaders we coach just don't have the, they don't want to have the inner fortitude to stand in the tension. And, um, your reflection was the key. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And, 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 and you, and you, and saying that a lot of people don't understand no risk, no gain. And <laughs> sometimes it's not going to be a gain, but you're going to learn. Yeah. And, and, and the next time you step out there, you have data to work with, but, no, we're not taking no risks. No, 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 no. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, if I'd had this tool, I probably got it done real quick. Okay. <laughs> and that's the idea, right? Can we can we give it? Can we equip ourselves with yeah. ways to work through the reflection process, which is what we want to give everybody an opportunity to do. Yeah. Um, but there is a question from one of our guests uh, asking, "How much did the ridership increase? Do you remember the data?" Um, I don't remember the data, but it did increase significantly enough that they kept that program in place for, and it's probably still is. I haven't um, entertained them in years, but uh, when I retired, it was still there. The program, I wasn't running it, but the program was still in place. So it was uh, significant so enough that yeah. they could see the benefit of keeping um the coffee carts and the the little stores that they had in the transit centers. So right. yeah. So the moral to the story is if you want an active legacy, sit in the discomfort a little longer and keep staying in the reflection, you'll find an answer. Yeah. Can, can I say something? Sure. I'm morning ever I forgot Esther, we do go way back, like a quarter of a century. But how can that be? <laughs> We're only 25. But anyway coming from the Nordstrom perspective of when it was happening, not only did it increase the business and change the paradigm of how people looked at it, it was a mausoleum, it was beautiful, but there was artwork, there was musicians, there were different things to engage people. And it wasn't a scary place anymore. And so people liked traveling that way. I would see different, because I was a bus commuter too at one point in time, made it easy, but I would see entire schools coming for, a field trip or families going on there. So it not only changed the ridership in terms of numbers, but it changed the ridership dynamic in terms of who would feel safe going there. And coming from Nordstrom, sitting in that tension a little bit more, um, I worked for them for 10 years and that's actually how Esther and I met with community outreach. And I said, who is this lady? And we had been talking on the phone so many times I was in the HR department. When I first met her, in my little teal suit and my little black pumps. I went to go introduce myself to Esther live with her other cohort, Vivian. And I went to extend in my hand and shake her hand. And she said, girl, I know you. And she enveloped me in a big hug and that was it. So, <laughs> many, many years later, but Nordstrom is a risk taker because if you are familiar with Nordstrom, they have their anniversary sale in July. They found a need and they feel that that, is the, that was the slowest time for them. So then they started doing the anniversary sale, which now eclipses their holiday sales. That's right. And they had to get buyers. Who wants to try on wool coats in Seattle in July? Nobody. <laughs> but people line up. And again, it's changing the shift of people's mentality and what's in it for them. So Nordstrom saw the opportunity of partnering with Metro and doing an event. So being a responsible corporate citizen, being a part of the community, opening that up. And I will always appreciate that with Nordstrom because they were always the first to step out. So I got to meet Esther through that. And for that, I will always be grateful. That's Thank fantastic. you, Irene. Thanks, Irene. And you know, yet another example. So here's a retailer um, who has long history in the city and I'm sure had a lot of resistance coming from personnel going, what do you mean we're gonna do this? <laughs> and uh, it, I think they were more, I think they were more on board than Metro. They were much easier to work with than 
-hmm. I'm sure that was true from your side, but I can imagine inside of Nordstrom uh, mm. that there were some factions who were like, oh. we're doing what? <laughs> and, and it's normal. I mean, again, this is yeah. what the research was showing us, that these tensions show up and too many people give up. And yeah. so this reflection practice is a way to not give up, to, yeah. to start to see the, the system level picture. Yeah. And that's what we want to give everybody a chance to play with now. So I hope you've all come with a thorny problem. And you have the tool that you can download. And this is an opportunity to just talk your way through it with each other. Uh, a tip for success that you might not know the person that you'll be in a breakout room with. So say your name and think about what's a top personal value that would help the other person get to know you just a little bit before you drop right into the use of the tool. You'll have 15 minutes in the breakout room. And when you come back, uh, there'll be time to share comments and ask Esther questions or Gary and myself uh, as well. And so you should get a join button here quite shortly. Join a breakout room. There we go. Have fun. Okay, so you want me to join a breakout room? No, you don't need to. Okay. I'm going to. Sorry. <laughs> welcome, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's hard hey. to come back. We were in the middle of our <laughs> conversation. Yes. We were just saying there's never yeah. enough time. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Paige, do you want to go ahead and put us on wallpaper so we can see everybody? Yep. Think of this as the big circle. <laughs> Got a remote. Ta -da! Ta -da! Ta -da! I'd, I'd love to take a little photo. If, uh, if you don't want to be in the photo, go ahead and close your camera now. And um, Paige, do you want me to do it or do you want to do it? I can do it. Okay. Marvelous. All right. Everybody do something cool. <laughs> something cool. <laughs> Two, one. <laughs> All right. That's great. Wonderful. All right. Well, the floor is open. It will be very useful if you uh, raise your hand. You can use the reactions. They're at the bottom of the Zoom display, uh, third from the right. Um, that way we can see it in the participant list and um, you know, open up for you and we'll sequence from there. Um, comments, questions, insights, whatever came up for you in playing with the tool and spending a little time in your pair or triad. No one has any questions after <laughs> I went through all that? <laughs> Millions of questions. All right, Chris, there you go. I appreciate your courage. Please, what happened for you? So... I'll first go in, in our in our in our group with uh, Steph and with Deborah. It was it was nice to hear Steph's um, thorny problem and being able to share my experience that I've that I've had and that might help her. But listening to Esther more specifically, this couldn't be more timely mm. um, because I'm hosting a workshop in Louisiana next week, and for me that would have been a five minute conversation. But now we have six people, six people flying in, and I did the and I shared it with Esther last week. I did this HBR um, Harvard Business Review um, quiz on curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. Do we to what extent do we crave intellectually, um, and are we open for open new experiences? 
and everybody scored very high. So that made me realize, hmm, there must be something else. So <laughs> this is helping me to reflect once again. I haven't read the attachment yet, but that's something that I'm going to do. And uh, yeah, so that, that came up for me. And then specifically to Esther, um, these type of opportunities come up for me all the time, you know? But I don't always have the time or the energy or the bandwidth outside of my day-to-day -day activities or responsibilities to pursue that. So Esther, how do you balance this passion, this vision with more mundane tasks that you have on your plate that might consume your energy on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, well, Chris, as I always say, it's a choice. You have choices that you can make and there's always going to be something, but you prioritize according to what your goals are and how you can um, energize your support system. So first of all, always remember you have a choice. You can choose what's most important at this time. Sometimes people forget they have choices and they think, I got to, I have to, I can't. No, those words don't even, well, we actually need to eliminate them from our vocabulary. With yeah, the power of choice, we can do anything. You, you used your power of choice to say, I'm also not alone. Yes. Right? <clears throat> yes. That's what I heard in your story is that, that, that stepping back, you were able to see, yes. hang on, I live in a system. Right. Yeah, that's right. great. Um, Sheila, I saw you had your hand up, but you took it down. Do you, did you? Yeah, thank mind? you. Um, <laughs> I thought the, the tool and the reflection was um, incredible. Um, and it's, it's interesting in hindsight, how you can see, <laughs> oh, that's what went wrong. Um, and um, Judy and I had a great chat about, thinking, you know, that leaders holding the tension, knowing that there's a process to go through um, and it's going to take some time before action, I think is just so incredibly powerful. So thank you both. Yeah, oh, you're very, very welcome. I can't wait to hear some stories as you help other leaders walk through this. Thanks, Sheila. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah, I think for me, the thorny problem I brought had more to do with the client. So I know that this was based on, you know, that an action pursued didn't result in a satisfactory result. But instead, I find like a client that just is having a really hard time taking action because of like limiting beliefs. And so I was struggling to try and map this into that where that's just getting in the way for them. So that's what came up for me. So Ken, here would be my suggestion. Um, beliefs are an example of a place where as coach, you're giving clarity. The client is gaining clarity about a belief that's operating often completely unconscious and invisible to them until we're having the conversation. So when they tie that belief to the result, mm -hmm. like, oh, well, no wonder, because believing that meant that the basis of my decision was this value, this principle, this criteria, whatever it might have been. All we're trying to do is to crack into the reflective practice to see it more clearly. So while we've set it up as a sequencing where you can work from the result you don't like, because that's usually where people start, like I'm so frustrated with fill in the blank, um, working our way back 
gives them some certainty about this situation that feels very ambiguous. But if you start with the limiting belief, that's fine. You might even say, well, what's the data you're looking at that reinforces that belief as the truth? Oh, well, I don't have any. <laughs> okay. So where did it come from? Was this a memory? Is this right? And you're on your way. So don't have to do it in sequence, but all the elements are there as uh, a way to start to see the whole picture. All right, thanks. You're welcome. Go ahead, Steph. So um, in talking with Deborah and Chris, um, I just scanned the tool and they really organically started working on um, the habits, the beliefs, kind of the processes in play uh, for my thorny problem. And um, they also really went into Pathfinder mode for me, really helped me thinking about mm -hmm. What if you don't participate in the process as prescribed? Are there options to get outside of it? Um, and that was so helpful and really helped break that habit of, well, here's my route, here's my options. Um, and so I thought that was that was really great uh, to hear from them and they did it organically, <laughs> I think just, just as, as helpers. Um, but that was really great for me is thinking about, okay, well, you think your, your belief system that you are in this process and that's the way it is let's think about alternatives and it, it really helped me uh feel feel confident in, in moving forward trying something else fantastic you know i'm remembering another one of our global leaders that we'll see a little later in the in the year sharif abdullah talks about calcified thinking which to me encompasses habits, preferences, assumptions, and biases that we live our lives, we get experience, we integrate a certain way of seeing the world, and then the world changes, but we don't recognize that the world has changed. We're stuck in a calcified thinking and the value of the reflection practice, particularly when we can do it with someone else who's a great listener, helps us realize, oh, wait, hang on a second, I'm more capability than this. And uh, I can hear you let your innate creativity out. It's great. <laughs> All right, Michael. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for, for pulling this together and for making these resources available to us. It's just, it's great to have this as, a, as something that we can come to, um, you know, to help develop our own skills and, and solve our own problems. So, Esther, I have a question for you. And thank you for sharing all of the, the experiences that you've had. I'm wondering, during this period where you were working to try and change an organization, to try and change some norms that were out there. There are going to be times in any of those situations where, you know, there's going to be self-doubt. There's going to be these moments of, of sort of self-pity uh, is, is another way to describe that. Um, I'm curious if you had any habits or techniques that you used for yourself that allowed you to refocus yourself or re-engage in the process or re-up um, re your energy towards achieving this goal that you had set? Um, hmm. You can't see my view, but there's a lady on each side of you. Uh -huh. And those two ladies were my sounding boards and have been for years. And when I get to a place where I'm having self-doubt, self-pity is not an option, but self-doubt, I'll run it by someone that I trust and ask for support. And I think women do that better than men. But I agree. no man is an island. 
And sometimes we can get stuck in our view and can't see the other possibilities. And that's why I do sound checks. I do, you know, conversations with someone that I trust that understands my vision that can give me solid options. So I would say, Michael, the first thing I would do is ask for help. I'm stuck. This is, this is wearing me out. Can I run this by you? Always, I, I try to keep a small team of people around me, even today that I trust. They, it's so important to have someone that you trust, that understands who you are, that understands your values, that understands your ability, that you can conference with, that you can you know, run it past because they're going to be real with you. And they'll say, Michael, that's crazy. Then you see that over there, you know, and they, and trust me, these two ladies I'm talking about, they will tell me, Esther, you crazy. That don't work. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, or, hey, look at this. Did you see? That? Oh, no, I didn't even see. Yeah. So ask for help. That would be my first stop when you get like that. And the self-pity, I, yeah, that's not a good place for me to be. I don't know if you enjoy, but, you know, it hasn't been beneficial in my life. But the self-doubt, there's always going to be moments of self-doubt. And often those are, the, those are the moments that have us say, hang on a second, let me push my chair back a couple inches. Get yeah. Yeah. You said something about the small group of people, and it occurs to me that if we construct our small group of people with folks who think like us, it may not actually work that well. In other words, it's it's so valuable to notice our, our bias, our positive bias, our mm. confirmation bias, however you want to think about that, and to bring people into that small circle who think very differently from me, Yeah, um, that challenge me to go... That's messed up. That's old. <laughs> really, yeah. you know, there's there's more going on out there than how you're seeing it, and how valuable it is to think about who we bring into the space. And 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 you're right. You're right. Um, what I what I have found, my close circle, they don't all think like me, <laughs> right? But they're independent thinkers that can look at me and say, Esther, bullshit, excuse my expression, but, and that, that is the kind of support you want. That's going to call that on you. That's going to say, no, it's not okay. Open up your mind, but they understand you, Michael. They understand your values. They understand what, what, what you're trying to do. And they're coming in to bring other viewpoints. Just as you have done today, Esther, thank you so very much for your you. energy, your presence, your history, your uh, storytelling. It's really magnificent. And we're blessed you. to have your contribution. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank and you. Paige has placed into the chat the closing code that you need for those that want to get ICF CCE credits. 
And she's also posted in the chat. So you might want to go to the dots and uh, download that. There's information about Esther's book and how to get a hold of her on her website. And thank you all for being here. We'll release you at 60 Minutes. It's been a joy. We will see you again on June. June. Second, second for the conformity to contribution with our guest, Magdalena Mook, the uh, ICF uh, president, executive director, president. All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> See you, everybody. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, everyone. Bye-bye.